Hello, my name is Larry Hiles. I'm the preaching minister at the Milford Church of Christ. Thank you for taking the time to watch or listen to this message. Please feel free to share it with friends. Also, if it's impacted your life in any way, reach out to us and let us know how. If you live in the Centerburg or Mount Vernon area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 3648 Johnstown Road in Centerburg, Ohio. We look forward to the opportunity of meeting you. If you have your Bibles with you, open them up to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And even though this is not our primary text, I want to start with this passage of Scripture because it leads right into a, an illustration I'm going to open up with. Colossians 3.18-21. through 21. Wives, be subject to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. And this reminds me of the scholar who had just delivered an amazing lecture on this very passage. And when he was approached by another scholar in the crowd and told how amazing his lecture was, the theological heavyweight blurted out, yeah, but it cost me my son. The, the second scholar said, why, why did you say that? You heard me, it cost me my son. I sacrificed my relationship with my son. And the first scholar then went on to lament about the fact that he has spent so much time uh, of his time researching, writing, and hoping to get published that he ignored his son. Now as an adult, his son was a homeless man sleeping on the streets. When the other tried to console him, he said, I did that. Even though people seem to be amazed by my productivity as a scholar, the fact that I would give up, I, the fact is I would give up every one of those books and far more just to have my son back. Before I move on, I want to say uh, that there are children who grow up in great homes who rebel. They do. And there are children who grow up in horrible homes who turn out great. Uh, however, the principles that we're going to look at this morning as we continue our series on focus on marriage and in particular looking at parenting, these principles, will, uh, when we apply them, will go a long way in discipling our children to become lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ. Over the past three weeks, we've been in a short series on focus on, on marriage. And, and last week, we focused on uh, that the primary relationship of a home. And that primary relationship is that of a, a husband and wife and how, how wives are to submit to husbands and husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, sacrificing himself uh, for her. So let's look at our text this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. The text says this, uh, Children, Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that our hearts are inclined to align our lives with what your word declares. Lord, help us to remove the obstacles that we have in our hearts, those things that we put in the way from uh, completely submitting to you in all areas, including this one. Father, whether we be a parent of children or a parent of adult children or a child, uh, looking to our parents, that we allow your word to speak to us this morning, that you will be glorified as a result. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. 
Uh, this morning, I'd like to focus on four truths. And, and, and these four truths, two of them are not directly from the text, and two of them are directly from the text, that these truths will impact our families and our lives to have Christ-centered homes. And, and this message is for everyone, because as I've mentioned, uh, uh, all aspects of the church life, we are, are supposed to equip and encourage and, and, and lead families to becoming more Christ-like. And so this message applies to each and every single one of us. And, and here's the first lesson I want to share. We must value and care for our children. We must value and care for our children. The fact that Paul would mention children in a letter to the church in Ephesus is truly amazing. What's even more significant is the fact that Paul didn't just say boys. He didn't just talk about the young men. He talked about children as a whole. God's people have always held a high view of children and their responsibility toward them. It should be our goal as a body of believers to make sure children are valued and cared for and that we equip families to do that. God's word has always done so. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I command you, commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Jesus had clear expectations for valuing children. Back in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself, and he set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever, therefore, will humble himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble... It is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depth of the sea. Did you catch what Jesus said there at the end? We have a responsibility to value and care for children. I think the disciples either didn't hear what Jesus was saying or didn't understand him in Matthew 19. Beginning of verse 13, then some of the children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said to them, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And after laying his hands on them, he departed from there. This was a sharp contrast to the Greco-Roman world that Jesus was a part of. It was radical, a radical change from the callous way kids were treated. As a matter of fact, in Roman society, if there was a child that had something wrong with them or merely not wanted, parents could actually just lay them at the dump heap. And then anybody could either come along and take them with them or just leave them there to die. And if they were taken with them, there was things that typically happened to them. They were typically treated as slaves, sometimes turned into prostitutes. And many of the people who would find themselves fighting as gladiators in the Colosseum would have this beginning. And here, God's word comes along, and it tells us and challenges us that we are to, honor, we are to value and care for our children. So as Christ followers, we have a responsibility. One of the sounds that we should love to hear in church is that of babies. <clears throat> in fact, the lack of sound in the church coming from babies should be an alarm to every congregation that something has taken place. The next generation is disappearing. 
In truth, we have got to take responsibility for that today. The church has the responsibility to come alongside parents and help them raise their children toward the Lord. However, the primary responsibility always falls upon the parent. Always. Dietrich Bonhoeffer spoke these words. He said, it is from God that parents receive their children, and it is to God that they, in turn, ought to lead them. April and I have learned, like many of you, that those years of raising kids flies by. It does. You think it'll never go away, and then all of a sudden you blink your eyes, and it's just you and your spouse looking at each other, trying to figure stuff out. Thankfully, grandkids come along, and, and you're able to have toys scattered on the floor again, and you're able to relive some of those moments, but man, they fly by. Uh, those years of valuing and caring for children, we have got to understand, they don't just stop then, they continue on through their life. And as parents, whether you have kids that are, that are young or, or kids that are nearing retirement, we have that responsibility as parents to love and disciple them toward the Lord. We should care and value for them that much. And as a church, this should be a reality for us. It should. It should break our hearts as we look at society and see how far away society is trying to tear our kids away from the Lord. It should cause us to want to stand up and be a voice to speak to them, to love them, and care for them in a way that they need led to Christ. And when we think about the church as a whole, what are some ways that we can care and value for children? Well, one is to be a voice to the world that's trying to strip them away. Friends, Satan has a goal for our kids. And his goal is to make sure that they don't put their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. And when we as a church begin to finally stand up and realize that that's something that's taken place, then we can begin to live that counterculture life that Christ has called for us to live. Because far too often we find ourselves just going with the flow of society and allowing our kids to be sucked into that flow of society. And then we seem, well, hopeless. We're not hopeless. Right now, we're not, not living in the power that Christ has given us to love and care for them. Another way we can do this is through foster care and adoption. The need for foster parenting is rising in our country, and, and some are able to do that. Can you open up your home for a child in need? And, and to adopt a child into a home is on one small level to do what Christ has done for each and every one of us. He's adopted us, been adopted into the family of God through his blood. And not only should the church strive uh, to care for those who are here, but the church must. And I think this is something that's being lost today because we feel like we've already lost the battle, friends. We have. I mean, if you look at us, sometimes we live as these defeated little puppies with our tails between our, our, our legs, walking away from the battle. Christ has called for us to stand up and be a voice. We're told to be salt and light in this earth. And the fact is, is that we need to continue to be a voice for those whose voices will never be heard. 4,000 times a day. Let me look at that again. A day. Abortions take place in our country. A day. Who knows what would happen with those lives that have been aborted? Who knows the difference that it could have been made in society? Who knows? We cannot 
be against something without being willing to be for something. So not only should we be against abortion, but we should be for helping those mothers who are considering abortion. In fact, I've been convicted of this lately. Uh, we, we've partnered together with a center here in Knox County. I think that partnership needs to ramp up, not just for us as individuals, I mean as a church, but us as individuals. We need to look at what we can begin to do for these young women who are trapped in a society that tells them that their only choice is to kill that baby. We must value and care for children. Can we become a support system for single parents uh, and be an encouragement for them? Friends, this is going to change the way we live, and it must change the way we live. It's time that we stop doing Christianity as we've done it for so long, and we realize that Christianity is supposed to impact every ounce of who we are and how we connect with people outside of here. I think there's an opportunity for every church to be a voice to be hands and feet in the lives of people who are hurting from this area. So we must value and care for our children. We must also set a Christ-centered example for our children. Uh, do you remember what your dad taught you? Uh, or uh, how about your mother? You know, you, you, there are lessons that, that still ring in your ears, right? And, and you, you might find yourself saying something that your parents said, and, and, and you vowed when you were a teenager, I'm never going to say that. And then the moment happened, and you're saying the same things that your parents said, and then you look in the mirror, and you're like, oh my gosh, I've turned into him. Right? So <laughs> let's think about many of the lessons that Paul has taught thus far and, and to the church in Ephesus. Uh, he's taught the church in Ephesus when you scan back through this book that they were created in Christ Jesus for good works, that they're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that they've received in the Lord, that they're to walk differently from the wor world, that they're to speak the truth, that they're to build one another up in their words and actions, that they're to walk in love, walk as a child of light, to walk in wisdom. All of these ways of walking are, are key. But do you know one of the important things as a parent when we thought, start thinking about that walk is that you're not alone on that walk. There's somebody with you. That there's somebody following. Right? Parents, there's no one who would like you to teach your child how to walk with Christ. No one. Right? And it's one of those traps that we've fallen into the world again, right? We think about the church and we look at the church and we continually ask about the church. Well, what does this church have for my kids? More importantly, what does your home have for your kids in the Lord? Gosh, man, there are so many things I wish I could go back and do. I wish I could. Just so many things. Not drastic things, but little things. Because I did spend a lot of time with my boys teaching them how to hit a ball, throw a ball, catch a ball, roll a ball, do all of those things. I did do all of that, and I should have spent, and I wish I could go back and spend more time just talking through God's Word together. Talking about the challenges of being a Christ follower in a world that wants to pull you away from Christ. So, uh, do our kids see us living in humility? Do they see us chasing after God? Are they learning obedience, respect, and submission as they watch their parents? That's the theme here, right? We're not going to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect as parents. But, but friends, I think we have to grasp this reality and idea that we need to perfectly try. We need to perfectly try when it comes to this. And remembering we're not perfect, we have to remember we're redeemed, we're accepted, we're forgiven, we're sealed, we're made alive in Christ. And even in our failures with our kids, if we keep pointing them to those things, man, they'll see that Christ-centered example. 
So those are the implied lessons. Let's look at the the explicit lessons from this passage. Here's the explicit. Children must honor and obey their parents, right? They must honor and obey their parents. Humanity was made to glorify God. Uh, The Lord commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth. And since humanity was created to glorify God, we know that children exist to glorify God, right? Children exist that way. So children, how do you glorify God? So this lesson applies if you're in here for, for, from, from the kid that's a year old as they're learning that to the kid that's 75 years old. And it's where it applies. Right? So here it is. Honor your parents. Honor them. How does one honor their parent? One, one, one way is about having a proper attitude toward your parent. It's just having a proper attitude. You know, like most young men, I say most young men because it's true of all of us as men. There's, there's something weird that happens to us between those ages of 13 and 17 where we're not so much a boy anymore and we're becoming a man. And one of the ways we want to assert our manhood is by challenging dad in the home, right? And, and we start off by challenging dad in the home maybe with an attitude. <laughs> Preston, I, I remember him growing up and, and some of those clashes we would have. And I've I, I got to tell you, and as I've said these stories about Preston before, uh, there are times that I would share truth with Preston after, after some of these things, and he'd look at me and say, you're absolutely right. It's one of the greatest lessons that he could have given me as a dad by realizing that and pointing those things back. But, but Preston, one of the things when he would kind of blurt something out growing up, and I'd say, man, you're not being respectful right now. And, and uh, he said, I don't mean to be. And, you know, I believed him. I do believe him. You know, just like all people, he had a heart to want to do right. And, but I, I would often say back to him, kind of condescendingly and angry at times, well, you know what your problem is, is you don't mean to be respectful. And I wish I could go back in those times and instead of being a jerk, I just lovingly point him to what Christ and his word says. To honor your parents. To love them. When God gave the Ten Commandments, the first four dealt with our vertical relationship. And, and look at what the first horizontal commandment was. Honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which Yahweh, your God, gives you. There there were stipulations in the law that dictated that the child could be taken outside of the city walls and stoned to death if they didn't honor their parents. This is how serious God took this reality, right? In Exodus chapter 21, verse 15, And he who strikes his father or mother shall be put to death. Verse 17, and he who curses his father and mother shall be put to death. The idea of honoring father and mother is not only only an Old Testament commandment. It's a New Testament directive as well. And it appears five times in the gospel accounts. What happens, though? What happens, though, if your parent's not worthy of honor? Or if they're difficult to honor? How do you do that? How do you do that? This command that's been given is one that I've always struggled with. And, and what do you do when your parents are not there? I, I believe the Bible's clear. If, if you're a follower of Christ, if you've given your life to Christ, you're to honor them anyway. That doesn't mean you put yourself in danger. That doesn't mean you put yourself in a position to be abused. It doesn't mean that all the pain has gone away. It, it means that you understand that God's called you to do something. He's called you to pick up your cross. And I think this is one of those cross moments for some of us. It's one of those cross moments. 
This is especially true of adults who follow Christ, that have parents that are difficult. Who knows? The whole reason you're a follower of Christ may be to, to be that person that reaches them, as I've mentioned. And, um, man, I, so I was told this morning by somebody walking in, I mean, you have the best in-laws, and I smiled. And I said, man, I sure do. I'm a blessed man. I'm a blessed man. I mean, they got me my first Bible. They're the reason that I am in Christ and uh, so also have set examples for me all through life. Strong examples. I'm reminded of my father-in-law. Now understand by worldly standards, he had great parents. They, they taught them honesty, hard work, respect, and, and to be a person who was a, an upright citizen in a community. This is, these are things that they were taught. So they followed the rules, but they weren't followers of Christ until later in life. Roy's mom, you may remember, she had a heart attack, and, and that heart attack did permanent damage to her heart. And I can remember Roy talking to her on the phone, asking her if all the arrangements were made, and she said, everything's in order. And he asked one more question, what about eternity? It was something like that. You may have been here after service one Sunday when he baptized her into the Lord. I'm reminded of Roy's dad. Started attending church here. We had a Bible study on Wednesdays. Uh, Wednesday mornings where we just, this is what we did. We got a, a, a pad of paper and a Bible and we started reading through that. There was about seven or eight of us and, and said, read, here's the reading plan, come back with questions. And, and Dick came to that study every week. He would talk about that study even after giving his life to the Lord. And Dick too was baptized right in this baptistry. Just a few short years before he died from throat cancer. And it's a perfect example of, in my opinion, of a son doing the best that he can do in Christ to honor his adult parent, as, as, as an adult, to honor his parents. And they will be there in eternity. So honor your parents. Children, obey your parents. A strong argument could be made that honoring is obeying, right? And how does a child obey their parents? Well, by hearing and doing what they say. By hearing and doing what they say. You're not always going to agree with your parents. There are going to be times that they're going to tell you to do something you don't want to do. And if it's not sinful, if it's not sinful, do it. There are a few reasons why. First, because you want to honor them. But another thing, children, I mean, understand this, and this is even sometimes for us as adult children who have parents who have gone before us in other paths of life. They know where you're heading. And they're trying to lead you on a path. Here's one thing you can be sure of. If you have a parent that honors the Lord, you can be sure that what they're telling you comes, one, from glorifying him, and two, for your best interest. So, So do what they say. In this text, Paul gives a few reasons. He says, one, it's the right thing to do. This seems to go without saying, right? Make sure your children obey you because it's the right thing to do, parents. Here's one more statement that does not need mention. Parents, your children are not always going to obey you. They're not. Sure, it's cute when they're little. It's, It's cute when you hear that word no come out of their mouth for the first time. It's cute when they get an attitude and you kind of see them beginning to express themselves. 
And I'm not saying you need to put a thumb on them to control every moment and take every expression away from them. But I do think when they're young is when you really need to teach them that disobedience at any level does not honor God. And it's going to lead them down a path because when they're a teenager, that disobedience goes from saying no to something far worse. Far worse. Kids, on another note here, your parents actually do understand the struggle of life and obedience. They know that you're going to fail. They know you are. You know how they know you're going to fail? Because they failed. And you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to protect you from living through some of those consequences of the failures that they have had in their lives. But parents, if that's true of you and your reality, speak that to them as you ask them to follow what you're saying. If you give them the reason why behind the what, a lot of times they will understand you at a different level. There was a motivating promise, right, in this as well. He said, honor, it's the first commandment that comes with a promise. Paul pointed back to what the command said about living long in the land. So this this does not mean that making your children mind you when they're young, they're going to be living old life. Here's what it means. Here's what it means, that, that they're going to be in the Lord. The greater reality of that is going to be the case. So, so children, honor and obey your parents. And here's the fourth and the last lesson for us this morning. We must make disciples of our children. We must. Look at verse 4 again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul could have uh, had both parents in mind here. He could have, but I, I believe he's truly pointing to the fathers in this because there's there some reason, some reason known only to the Lord, that we as human beings, and especially as men, ha- have an attachment to our fathers. And our fathers have the greatest opportunity to speak life into us or to tear it away from us. They do. I, I know that for men because I'm a man, and, and if you're a woman here, you might be saying, well, that's the same for, for me as well. And so Paul, he says a few things to fathers in particular. He says, do not provoke them to anger. Now, obviously, a, child, a mother can provoke a child to anger, but there's something different uh, about a dad provoking a child to anger. I, I remember in October, uh, quite a few years ago, we took a fishing trip here at church, and Russell uh, and I and uh, Fred Altizer, Ken Klippinger, uh, Lee Galloway was another man. I think Scott Crawford, I think, went on that fishing trip with us as well. And on that fishing trip, we went up to Alpena, Michigan in early October. And, and when we got there, you know how far north that is. Uh, uh, so it was snowing. And the, the leaves were already gone off the trees up there. And, and all the rest of the wimps went into Fred's camper. Uh, but Ken was setting up a tent, and I thought, I'm not letting Ken sleep in this tent by himself. And, and truth be told, I'm a wimp when it comes to being cold. I froze that entire week out there with, with Ken. You know, didn't, you know, he didn't mention one word about it. But I remember one night sitting around a fire, and um, at, we're talking about life, and Ken tearing up. He's in his 70s at, at this point. And he's tearing up, and he said these words, and I can remember them clearly because it helped me understand the impact that a father has on a kid their entire life. He said these words as he teared up. Sometimes the worst thing a father can do is stick around. Man. Now think about that. Dads, we have this amazing ability to speak life into our kids, and we also have this amazing ability to cause them to hate life. 
And Paul, in these words, he says, listen, don't provoke them to anger. Some of the, the Colossians passage used that word, exasperate them to anger. Uh, so what are some of the ways that we can provoke our children to anger? Uh, failing to take into account the fact that they're young people and they're going to make mistakes. Dads, don't set unhealthy realistic expectations for your kids. They're going to fail. They're going to have uh, things that take place in their life that you would rather them not have. And it's in those moments that you can be a voice of grace or you can be a voice of condemnation. And how do you want them to be, how do you want to be remembered? How, How do you want to be remembered when they're 75 if the Lord blesses them with life and they're sitting around a campfire with someone else telling stories about you? Don't compare them to others. If you're more like your brother, if only you were as smart as. Discipline them consistently. Truth is, is the kids know discipline's needed, uh, but it must be done consistently. Uh, and, and here's another thing. Sometimes as dads, we, we have this uh, thought in our lives that we want to challenge our kids to greatness. And so in challenging them to greatness, we fail to, to, to express how proud of them we are on the little steps along that journey. They, they need to hear us saying to them, well done. They need to hear us saying to them, you made the right choice. They need to know that we're in their corners. That's one way that you don't exasperate or provoke your child to anger. Failing to express your love for them is one way. Even with the many trials that I had with my dad. There was never a time that I left his presence or hung up the phone without hearing him say, I love you, without me saying it back. Pressuring them to pursue your goals and not theirs. And that's one way. That's one way you can provoke your child to anger. Listen, God has wired them differently from you dads. Support them in that. You know, I loved football. Without football, I wouldn't have graduated from high school. Both of our boys played football in high school. um, And both did well. CJ, going into his junior year, he told April about a month before the football season, he said, I don't want to play football. I just want to bowl. And he was scared to tell me. I mean, when he told me, I said, listen, dude, I'm for you. I'm not for football. I'm for you. You know, if you don't want to play football, you do what you want. Let them pursue their goals and not yours. Not protecting them. Sometimes your kids need to know you're their source of protection. They need to know it and feel it. They need to know that you'll be in their corner. Holding them to standards that you're unwilling to keep is a way you provoke your child to anger and also by not telling them the truth. Our goal should be to encourage them. And and, and as we encourage them, instead of anger when they fail, give grace. Instead of unhealthy expectations, let them know the lessons you've learned through your failures. And instead of judgment, offer to walk alongside them through repentance and restoration. Man, if you do that, you're not going to provoke them to anger. Also, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The phrase, bring them up, is kind of weak. 
it kind of gives this mentality, right? This kind of mentality that, that there's a, just a task. And on this task, it's like, okay, we got step one here, and this is sometimes what we as men do. We got step two. Make sure you hit step two. Now we're in step three. You're doing a great job. And, and all along that path, right, we have this. But, but Paul, when he uses this word in Ephesians 5.29, the same word, the same word instead of bring them up is translated this way, nourishes and cherishes. And doesn't that change that? Doesn't it change that expression completely? I mean, think about that. Nourish and cherish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord's, of the Lord. What Paul is saying here is that dads could, should care for their children in a loving manner. Dads, think of all the things that we teach our kids, right? And I, I talked about the things that I concentrated on. What would change in our homes if we taught them what it was like to worship and, and what it was like to spend time in God's word and what it was like to, to serve in the church and, and what it's like to love and lead our neighbors to Christ, what it's like to, to love and be loved, what it's like to pray. What if we had those conversations more than we do than saying, well, keep your nose on the ball and you'll hit it. Keep your elbow tucked and have the gooseneck. Follow through. Man. Our homes would change. When the Supreme Court handed down its ruling against the required prayer in public schools, the famous editorial cartoonist Herblock published a cartoon in the Washington Post showing an angry father waving a newspaper at his family and shouting, what do they expect us to do? Listen to them pray at home? How about we change that? How about we change that? Not just listen to them, but set the example. Many churches have hired youth ministers and leaders to work with their children. In fact, it's pretty much an expectation for those who are looking for church. What's here for our kids? The truth is, is I believe that we should come alongside families to help them in raising children to the Lord. However, this is a supplement to what you're doing at home. You cannot expect a miracle in your child's life if you're not leading them in worship at home. And dads, that you have the greatest opportunity to do this. Where you lead, your family will follow. They will. Mothers, I hope it's not seemed as though I've ignored your role. Truth is, is that many Christian mothers have uh, done a great job in leading their children to Christ. And, and now we need fathers of the household to take that lead. Dads, what do your kids see as your greatest chase in life? What is it? Is it a career? Is it providing for the family? Is it a golf game? Is it your next family vacation? Is it living through a sports accomplishment that you had back in 82 when you threw a football over mountains? What is it? Or is it Jesus? And is it Jesus? Just picture, picture if things were to change in our homes, and it doesn't matter how late this change is, it can happen at any moment. Picture uh, our kids being able to say one day, man, my dad, he, he did blow it early on in life, but he met Jesus, and that's all he talked about. It's all he chased, and I'm in Christ today because of that. You guys know the life that King David 
has always bothered me. How could a man be a, a man called after God's own heart and, and be what he, he did? He lied, he committed adultery, he had someone murdered, he was a horrible father at times. And in a sort of twisted way, David has always been a source of comfort for me, right? If, if David could be called a man after God's own heart, then I'm good. Right? I'm good. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't murdered anybody. Right? I'm good. But there was something in David that God saw, and I believe that something was the chase of his heart. It was the chase of his heart. And Psalm 51, verses 9 and 10 say, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Man, think about that prayer. If this was sincere, and if we began to sincerely pray those things as, as God's men and God's parents, how would our families change? And, and he continually sought the Lord in this way. Read Psalm 25 this week. Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. Make me know your ways, O Yahweh. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation, and you I hope all the day. If that's the prayer of our heart, you know what's going to happen in our homes? Our kids are going to catch it. They're going to catch it. We're not going to have to teach it. It's just going to ooze out of everything that we do. And they'll be changed. Really, even though he continually blew it, his chase was after God. Read Psalm 63. I had Joel read the first three verses. I just want to read verse 1 again. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land without water. Man. As a preacher... I've had the opportunity to preach a few funerals. Some of them have been very easy, and some have been very difficult. And usually, I, uh, I didn't know what to do preaching a funeral. I remember the first funeral I preached, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And, and so I looked up stuff, and the internet was, you know, more common when I first went into ministry. And so I looked stuff up and saw all different orders. And, and one of the things said, okay, after you're done with the, uh, a sermon, the funeral sermon, go stand in, at the casket and, you know, as people walk by. And I always said, well, that's kind of weird. And it's still, um, and I've learned that there um, are times that, you know, that you're there. And after everybody leaves, family members walk up, and as the preacher, you're to, to be here in case they need anything. And, and, and people are, are usually standing, if it's here in this church, and the casket's right here, they're, they're standing here, and they're saying last words. You, you hear those last words, and you hear things like, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving mom. Thank you for loving dad. Thank you for pointing me to Jesus. Thank you for providing and I've seen people filled with grief that's fueled with anger. You hear words like, I wish. I wish what they said was true. I wish you would have given me a chance. I wish you would have said you were sorry. Guys, our, our children will not expect us to be perfect. They know we're going to blow it. However, if we're like David... For like David here, this is where I rested in on David. David repented, but more importantly, he chased. He chased after God his entire life. And that is what our families and our kids need. And before I close in prayer this morning, I'd like to say, I'd like to say this. God brings a whole bunch of people to worship gatherings each week. And, 
And we all bring our pain, and we all bring expectations, and we all bring different things we're going through, and, and these are one of those messages that has the greatest opportunity to bring either great feelings of comfort because you had a dad like that, or great feelings of anger because your dad was not like that, and your home was not like that. Hey, here's what I want you to know, that Jesus Christ it loves you, and he died for you, and that's all because your Father in heaven does have a perfect love for you. He does. So if you've not given your life to Christ and you want to talk about those things, please, please, let's do it. Could today be the day that you set the best example you could ever set for your family? Uh, a prayer from, from God's word in Psalm 127, unless Yahweh builds the house, they labor in vain. Who build it? Unless Yahweh watches the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early, that you sit out late. O oh, oh, you who eat the bread of painful labors, for in this manner he gives sleep to the beloved. Behold, children are an inheritance from Yahweh. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with enemies in the gate. Today, you can make a statement. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the love and grace you give us in Christ and the opportunities that we have, God, to come to you as imperfect beings and, and, and people who have struggles and struggles that come from histories and, and histories that come from histories of brokenness and despair. God, can you be our source of comfort this morning? And as you become that source of comfort, Lord, can you, be, can you be the chase of our lives? Teach us, Lord, to follow after you. Teach us to point others to you. Teach us to understand that you can take every ounce of pain that we've went through and to help us find victory in Christ because of the great love with which you've loved us. Lord, we praise you. May we surrender completely to you as Lord. We pray these things in your son's most holy name. Amen. So how's your chase? I hope your chase is good because that's the chase of life. It's either a chase to receive forgiveness, and if you've not received that, please let's talk, or a chase for holiness. And that chase for holiness means that we're continually bringing our junk before the Lord, confessing it to him, understanding that we do indeed need him every hour of life. If you, if you want to pray, I'd love to pray with you up front, or if you want to talk about uh, a decision for the Lord, I can meet you up front, whatever, whatever it may be. Let's stand and sing.